Hi, this is Zoe Routh. I am the host and creator of the Zoe Routh Leadership Podcast, where I love to help CEOs and their teams cut their people management issues by 75%, all while building a team they love to lead. On this podcast, we talk all things people when it comes to leadership. And you know, that's got to be the fun stuff as well as the tough stuff. Now, it's been a while since I did a solo-sode. Solo-sode. So I thought it would be awesome to do one now, uh, especially with the new book, People Stuff Out in the World. I've been doing a lot of podcast interviews myself, of, i.e. getting interviewed, about, uh, about the book. And some of the key content that's really resonating is the chapter on the four devils of people stuff. This is where we look at the dynamics that are really difficult when it comes to dealing with people and what we can do about it. So what I thought I'd cover in this podcast is exactly that. What are the four devils? What are their causes? And what can we do? I've also got a couple of recommendations for you as well. Uh, A new book, not mine, (laughs) colleagues, and another podcast you might be interested in, uh, especially for bookworms. But uh, that's coming up a little bit later in the show. So let's get into it. The four devils. I think there's two principles to keep in mind when we start talking about people dynamics. And the first principle is this. When you know the patterns, you can manage the people. And a lot of the work I do is about showing leaders how to read maps of human behavior. And there's a myriad of different maps that we can use to understand what is going on when we interact with folks and uh, what how we can then respond to them in a way that's productive and constructive for all parties. So know the patterns, manage the people. And the four devils is one of those maps that I share with you. The second principle is, what is my second principle? Oh yeah, this is a really big one. Ask, don't tell. When it comes to dealing with the people stuff, especially the firebugs and the, well, the four devils in particular, is that you want to be spending a lot of time listening. And if we try and deal with people who are irate or distressed and we start by telling them what they should think and feel, we are doomed to fail. So we need to have this idea that we will ask not tell, at least to begin with. (laughs) So be prepared. If you have a difficult behavior that you're addressing, it will take some time to work through it. And that is one of the reasons why dealing with people's stuff can be so challenging. So let's talk about the the four devils. Um, I call them the four devils, and they are elemental in nature. So when I think about difficult behaviors, I kind of think about raw nature, (laughs) earth, wind, fire, water. And when those combine nicely, it's like a beautiful day out of the beach. So the sun is shining, it's warm, there's a gentle breeze, the water looks fabulous, and it's just a pleasant experience. When things get riled up in nature, it can turn into really difficult circumstances, tornadoes, hurricanes, earthquakes, uh, tidal waves, you name it. So nature can be really challenging and it can be really lovely. And I think human nature is a little bit like that too. When things are going well, it's a lovely day out. And when things are not going so well, well, it can be really, really difficult and devilish. So let's take a look at the firebug. Now the firebug behavior is 
the way that you can spot a firebug behavior, and I always encourage leaders to look at themselves first because we all have a tendency to show up in these behaviors. The firebug is when we turn argumentative, angry, and frustrated. And so we tend to argue the point and get really irritated on things. And that's sort of the firebug. Our angry, argumentative, and we'll start a fire to get their point across and to get their way. So how do we become firebugs? There's something that provokes us into this behavior, which is actually really difficult to deal with if you're on the receiving end of it. With all of the four devils, there is a critical driver that stirs up the elements. And the critical driver is fear of loss. For the firebug, the fear of loss that is salient for them is a fear of loss of power and autonomy. And I will highlight David Rock's work on the triggers for an amygdala hijack at this point. So David Rock is an Australian neuroscientist, and he did a lot of research into what causes people to go into an amygdala hijack in the contemporary workplace. An amygdala hijack is when we go into survival mode, and it puts us in a very uh, unhelpful state for learning, for progressive discussions for conflict resolution. Essentially what happens is that our amygdala fires up, it shoots us through with cortisol and adrenaline, and we narrow our focus, we become a little bit blinkered, and uh, our short-term memory gets uh, interfered with. We find it difficult to listen and to process emotions effectively because we feel like we are in survival mode. So the primary trigger for the firebug is which correlates to David Rock's work, is this loss of power and autonomy. And this can really make us feel um, that we're in a survival mode. And that's why we get argumentative, and we can get uh, ferocious in our arguments, and we can... What, what we see across organizations is people falling into uh, turf wars because they're trying to protect their own patch. So I experienced this myself when I worked at Outward Bound, which is... an uh, not-for-profit, outdoor experiential organization. And when I was head of staff and training, I was um, in charge of developing the staff and running their training. And I had a team of trainers. Now, Outward Bound is a very complex organization, and often it had peak periods of program delivery in the outdoors. Typically, this was spring and autumn. And during those times, it was because that's when all of our clients seemed to want to run programs. <laughs> so there was high demand. And it usually meant all hands on deck. And at our bound, before the, when I was there and before the advent of computers <laughs> and spreadsheets, we had the planning room. And the planning room was a small, almost closet-like room with a massive magnetic whiteboard on it. And on that whiteboard, we plotted out all of the programs that needed to be delivered, including the training, uh, the, the staff professional training. And inevitably what happened is that it was like a jigsaw puzzle. People got moved around to try and fill gaps if somebody got sick or somebody had to uh, leave to attend a bereavement, a funeral or something like that. There was always gaps on the planning board. And sometimes there was more gaps than we had staff and we had to recruit outside of the organization to get people there. So what happened generally is that uh, client delivery was prioritized over staff training which completely makes sense because our clients are the ones paying the bills and training, though important, does not necessarily pay the bills. However, when I was there, I didn't always see that. <laughs> 
And it always felt like I was being robbed of my trainers to deliver on uh, the programs. So I was constantly having to give up my trainers and their programs so that they can help deliver the mainstream courses. And it really irked me. <laughs> I had no autonomy over my staff and my staff didn't like it either because they were hired to do a particular job and that was deliver training. And so they, get, they kept getting pulled from their mainstay job, the one that they signed up for, to do this other work, which they were, well, had done before, but weren't necessarily primarily passionate about anymore. They preferred to do training. So there was a lot of grumpiness and irritation, and I, can, I stepped right into Firebug. I was always arguing the toss and trying to negotiate to get my team back and control a little bit more of the forces around us. <sighs> so it made for a lot of tense meetings in the planning room as people were uh, trying to negotiate and get their people on the programs that they wanted. And if you had a particularly good star performer, very reluctant to give them up to the planning room, <laughs> to the other programs, like, ah, you know, so-and-so is always in demand. And it's like, yeah, they're on my team. So this little bit of turf war erupted, and it was problematic. So the way to unpick some of this um, was not to have a discussion then and there in the planning room, but to take a step back and look at what are the causes of all that. So the causes for my irksome behavior was definitely loss of power and autonomy. But what drove that? Systems drive behavior. So when we looked at the planning system, we realized that it was causing a lot of the tension between people and creating these turf wars. So we worked collaboratively to do it better. And we had a main, major discussions about what were the organization's priorities and how could we make it all work given the context. And we made up agreements beforehand. I think it's important to note with the firebug is that loss of power makes us mad. And as leaders, if we have firebugs on our team, we need to look underneath the surface and see what kinds of systems we have in place that might be driving that behavior. To try and diffuse it and manage it better and prevent those turf wars, we can create clear boundaries around who's, whose work is what and who gets to do what. We can clarify decision-making processes so that instead of having to always defend or argue the toss, we understand what the decision-making process is and hopefully it's collaborative and consultative with some clear parameters about who makes the last call and why. And the last piece in terms of helping people get off their firebug train is to delegate authority. When people feel like they have control over at least some aspect of their work, it can diffuse a lot of this defensiveness and aggression around protecting their patch. So that's the firebug. And I think the firebug is interesting because it really takes the attitude of feeling righteous and wronged. When I think about my firebug experience, that's definitely it. You know, I was like, I knew I was right and I felt wronged. <laughs> and it's really difficult as a leader to be um, consultative when someone's in that state of man mind. So you have to ask, listen, and then work through the process after that. Okay, that's the first devil. Second devil is the ground splitter. Similar to the firebug in that we can feel righteous and wronged. The difference is that instead of speaking up directly and argumentatively, that's totally not a word, <laughs> instead of speaking up and arguing the toss, we tend to let it simmer, we tend to put our head down, and we do it behind the scenes. Now, the ground splitter 
the reason that they don't speak up can be multifaceted. It may be that we don't feel safe to speak up. It may be that there are real consequences to speaking up, i.e. you will upset the boss, uh, you will be ostracized, you'll be isolated. This is sort of where we might have the choice to, to speak up and be a whistleblower or not. And, or it may be simply that we don't want to rock the boat. So the ground splitter still has disturbance <laughs> and is still driven by a loss. And uh, often the ground splitter, what drives their poor behavior, which is white anting and undermining and um, quarter conversations and whispers behind hands, that kind of stuff, uh, kind of two-faced behavior where you nod like, uh, yeah, everything's good, but behind the scenes like, no, you have a whinge and a bitch. The thing that can be driving that is sometimes the loss of performance. So a threat to not being able to deliver on the job can drive some of that behavior. And so what ends up happening is that we can put our head down and just go into our silos. It's like, this is all too much. I'm just going to look after my own stuff and then grumble, grumble, grumble behind the scenes. <laughs> it's, um, this is a tough one for leaders because I think it's a lot easier to deal with a firebug because they, you hear what's, what's going on, what the, what the real issues. With the ground splitter, as a leader, you might suspect there's a problem, but it's hard to identify because they're acting all happy in front of you, but you know that there's grumblings behind the scene, but you don't have any clear evidence of it. So loss of performance can send us underground. So how do we actually deal with this? If it's a performance-related issue, i.e. people feel overwhelmed and stressed out, one of the things that we can do is look at our systems about um, how we're actually creating that experience for people and see if we can roll it back. One of the key things I like to do with teams is help them define success and measure progress. So this gives us bite-sized chunks of things that we can uh, look forward to and knock off our list and feel like we're actually making traction on our workload. This is especially important when we have a massive overwhelm piece of work and it feels like we're not getting anywhere. So anything that we can do as leaders to say, hey, we are moving forward, we are getting through this is really helpful. Sometimes the loss of performance piece and that what sends people into silos is that there's a skills gap. They are not up to doing the job that they've been tasked with. And admitting that can be really embarrassing and uh, difficult. So I think it's important as leaders, we have a look at our people and go, are they actually up to the job? Is there some work that I need to do in helping them get a handle on the, on the job? And the last piece in terms of creating structures to help the overwhelm and the overwork piece is creating team accountability. So if one of us slips up, how do we handle that? If we as a group slip up, how do we handle that? How do we report and make interventions early so people don't feel like they're drowning and revert even more into or treat even more into their silos? So that's the ground splitter. Again, I guess the other aspect of this is big picture is to create a, a work environment where people do feel safe to raise issues. And we need to model that as leaders. We need to um, admit when we're wrong. We need to confess when we don't know all the answers. We need to be as transparent as possible. We need to model what we want to see in our staff. Uh, so being frank and fearless in our conversations in a safe, supportive environment is, is pretty critical. So the third uh, firebug is the storm driver. 
Now, what's different between the storm driver and the firebug and the ground splitter is that the storm driver is more emotionally charged, whereas the ground splitter and the firebug are more intellectually charged. There's still an emotional tinge to that, but it centers around beliefs and arguments as opposed to an emotional response. So the storm driver what they kind of look like a firebug but overlay a lot more emotion <laughs> on top of it firebug is primarily um, frustrated and angry the storm driver feels feels hurt and harried and that's a different flavor altogether so what the loss that triggers the storm driver behavior and um Storm driver behavior is somebody who's expressive and emotional, but all you ever really experience of them is the emotion. <laughs> um, an example of that, I remember watching a TEDx talk and the speaker, all you heard was the emotional drama. He was arguing or presenting his case against um, caged egg farms. So he was talking about the plight of chickens. Now, as a chicken owner and chicken lover, I understand that. I understand how emotive it can be to see birds stuck in a cage. And yet, his, he lost his cogency in his argument because he got wound up emotionally about it. Like he was teary on stage and he was whiny about it. And he just, he lost his audience because he wasn't able to connect. He let his emotions take over. And if you've ever been around somebody like that who just lets their emotions take over and all you want to say to them is calm down, <laughs> which is like the last thing you should say, that's a storm driver. Very difficult to be around. And what happens for this storm driver is, and it, it wasn't the case for this gentleman I saw on the TEDx stage. I think that was, uh, that was just poor emotional control. Another example of a storm driver in the workplace is somebody who has lost privileges or didn't get the promotion that they wanted and they become emotional and bitter about it. Uh, so that bitterness and resentment can really stir up a storm driver. Loss of position makes us bitter. That's the thing. So when we lose position or status and we have a sense of it's not fair, this can trigger our storm driver. How do we do that? How do we, well, first of all, we need to look at how do we deal with it is the question. Uh, we need to look at what are the systems and activities that have led to this loss of uh, sense of status and loss of sense of fairness. Often it's about how we communicate decisions or don't, don't communicate decisions very well. So we need to look at what decisions have we made and communicated that um, weren't explained effectively that weren't consulted if we if we got the chance to consult effectively. So sometimes delivering bad news without consultation can automatically trigger people into storm driver. So explaining decisions as thoroughly and as transparently as possible is one way to help minimize the effect on your possible storm drivers. The other thing to do is to always reassure people of their position and their value. Um, to reaffirm that their status in the organization is, is safe and that they are valued and appreciated. I think it's also important to acknowledge accomplishments. And this loss of status is not one that people readily admit. And yet when we talk about 
Have you ever been in a meeting where your expertise has not been consulted or your expertise has been dismissed? And how infuriating that is? <laughs> well, that could be your storm driver being triggered. And so it's important that we understand and know our people so that we can appreciate and uh, leverage their expertise where required. I think it's a bit of a dance, isn't it? Because sometimes we have to make decisions that aren't necessarily going to be perceived as fair. And yet, how we do that can help diffuse some of these ticking time bombs um, that occur. So with the storm, storm driver, it's all about uh, reassurance, uh, affirming, acknowledging, and uh, being as transparent as possible. That leads us to our fourth devil, the water bomber. The water bomber is similar to the storm driver in that they are emotionally charged. The difference is that they feel or unable for many reasons not to express it properly. So their emotional turmoil shows up in their behavior as opposed to their words. And there's two ways it can show up. They can be incredibly um, <clears throat> emotive. And so they might sulk, they might weep, they might uh, stomp up and down the corridor, <laughs> they might... Um, basically be an energy vampire and very difficult to be around. The other way that they might show up as a water bomber is to shut up like a clam. So instead of bombing people with their water, their wa their emotional energy, they can shut up like a clam. And that also emits like this wake of negativity and frustration. So the water bomber can be equally as difficult to deal with as the ground splitter because it's often difficult as a leader to get them to speak the truth about what's going on for them uh, because they're so wound up and caught up emotionally. So what causes this? Often the water bomber, the, the trigger is a survival one that is around belonging. So loss of place makes us sad. So if we feel like we've been left out, we've been ostracized, we haven't been included, uh, we don't feel part of the group, this can cause us to retreat into ourselves. And either like the clam or like the emotional vampire, we emit this inner terror, if you like. Um, so what we can do as leaders is to prevent this kind of behavior, is really be clear and directed in how we set up a sense of belonging in our team. Um, in my third book, Loyalty, I talk a lot about this. And some of the key strategies, strategies are to create symbols and rituals. Symbols and rituals that represent the belongingness and the cogency of the team. Um, like the storm driver, it's really important to show appreciation, uh, to personally acknowledge people, to do the basics like say hello, good morning, and say goodbye at the end of the day, to check in with people, ask how they're going, uh, to smile at them. Like these little subtle cues aren't big and they make such a big difference. The other thing with the water bomber is to recognize their achievements so that they get a little burst of serotonin every time they get acknowledged personally and as part of the community. So anything you can do to create that sense of welcome, inclusion, and belonging will help diffuse some of the triggers for the water bomber. So that's kind of the, the map of the territory for the four devils of people stuff. And waiting on the other side of all those is the capacity or the potential to turn these devils into something more powerful. And we'll cover that in a future episode on the show. I promised you a couple of recommendations. 
The first one is a podcast recommendation. I know, like a podcaster recommending another podcast? Absolutely. And this is from my colleague Lance Pepler. He runs a podcast called Exponential Organizations, and he interviews authors from around the world on this topic. And so if you're a bookworm like me, this is exciting. You know, you get to get introductions to new concepts, new insights from the authors themselves. So he's got a fabulous little podcast. And here he is explaining a little bit about that. Hi, my name is Lance Petler. I'm the host of the Exponential Organization podcast. On this podcast, I interview best-selling business authors on how you and your organization can grow exponentially. Find the Exponential Organizations podcast with an S, not a Z, on your favorite podcast player. I'll pop a note in the show notes about Lance's podcast and where you can find it. Uh, so you just need to scroll down and have a look in the show notes there. And the other book recommendation is from my friend, Georgia Merch. Georgia has written two books on feedback and her third book now is called Flossom. And it's a, it's a shift in perspective uh, in terms of what she's normally done. And this is the journey to becoming whole. And I love this book from Georgia because she is so incredibly authentic and transparent and whole <laughs> in everything that she shares. And her book is about the journey to owning all of your flaws, to confronting the brutal facts and feedback that we might get from other people and becoming okay with that. Uh, in the work that I do, that's called dealing with your shadow. I was just doing some, doing some work on that myself this morning, on owning the parts of you that you would rather not admit or own that are there. And when we do that, when we dismiss it and hide it all away, it actually ends up running our world. Uh, so it's important that we stare down and integrate and accept and process what we think our flaws are. And George's book is a beautiful personal tribute to that and a wonderful wandering through one woman's journey to wholeness. Highly recommend it, and I will pop the recommendation in the show notes. If you have some book recommendations of yourself um, that you think, oh, it would be great for Zoe to have a look at this, uh, then please send me an email, zoe at innercompass.com.au. Love taking personal book recommendations or pop it into the Facebook page and let us know what book you think is awesome when it comes to people and leadership. All right. So that was today's solo sode. I hope you enjoyed it. And oh, yeah, coming up on the podcast, ooh, we've got some fabulous new episodes. Um, this week we have James Burgle, and he is He's just a fabulous guy, and he's the VP uh, of sales at DATO, which is an international um, organization helping manage service providers in the IT sector. He's got some fabulous insights. He's doing a great job in his culture. So that's coming up this week, and um, lots of really great interviews coming up uh, on the show in the next few weeks. Okay, well, that's it from me today. In the meantime, live well, lead well. <laughs>